So, uh, Henry Drummond. Uh, I've heard people quote this guy, so this week I decided I'd Google and find out who he was. He was a Scottish uh, biologist, author, and lecturer in the late 1800s, and uh, also a Christian. And he, he wrote, obviously, he's an author, so he wrote a lot of things. And he wrote this about the ascension, about Jesus' return to heaven from earth. One of those things that we don't pay a whole lot of attention to. Uh, I think uh, perhaps our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox Church pay a little more attention to it than we do, but even those that are friends that I have, I've noticed it's, it's not. Ascension Day is not like Easter or Christmas. It's not even as big a deal as Pentecost, even for those who... Uh, Celebrate it. And so he asked this question Ascension, what if it didn't happen? What if Jesus had not gone back to heaven? So he said, Suppose Jesus had not gone back to his heavenly Father. Suppose he were here on earth now. Suppose he were still in the Holy Land, still in Jerusalem. Every ship, and, and I've kind of modernized this since he was writing in the late 1800s, I've added some transportation, like he didn't know about planes, but I added this. Okay, every ship and plane that started for Israel will be crowded with Christian pilgrims. Uh, every train flying through Europe and Asia and Africa headed toward uh, the Middle East would be thronged with people going to see Jesus. Now, supposing you were you, were on one of those ships or planes or trains, uh, when you arrived at the airport or the port after your long trip, you would be blocked, uh, your way would be blocked with vessels and, from every nation. With a lot of difficulty, you would get off and join along one of the long lines headed toward Jerusalem. As far as the eye could see, Caravans move over the desert in the endless stream. As you approach the holy city, you see the dark mass of people stretching for miles and miles between you and Jerusalem. You've come to see Jesus, but you have realized you're never going to see him. There's just way too many people in the way. Not connecting with Jesus is a big problem. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it was a big enough problem when he was here with the crowds that were following him. There were always people trying to get, to, get too close to him and they were not able to. Uh, and that was when the world's population was much, 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 much smaller than it is now. And communication was not nearly what it is now. Transportation wasn't what it is now. If he was not here, Mr. Grumman points out, if he was here now, if he had not returned to heaven, we'd never get hold of him. We'd never connect. And that's a problem. Uh, over the years, I've done a lot of study in trying to figure out uh, how we mentioned earlier that our, our 
enemies are not human beings, that our enemies are the spiritual forces of darkness, the forces of evil uh, that are out to destroy us, simply because God loves us and they hate God. And because forces of evil like to destroy everything. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said they came to, that forces of evil come to kill and destroy. Um, and the things that they use, their weapons, are forged either from blatant dishonesty, like the lie the serpent told Eve, you will not die. That's a blatant lie. Or subtle distortions of the truth. And the powers of this dark world use their weapons in three ways to attack us. They use these either blatant dishonest statements or distortions of the truth, subtle distortions, to do one of three things. But their objective is always to get between us and God, to get us away from sensing his presence, to move us out of a closeness to God's presence. They strike us with distractions. They can only keep us busy, or they want to fill us with fear. So they give us these ideas that are either outright lies or slight distortions of the truth that keep us busy running here and there or scare us into thinking things that aren't true and keep us away from God. Or they tempt us, or they pull us into discouragement. They're not they flood us with a sense that Jesus is just not there. He's not there. You know, he's on the other side of that huge crowd. You're never going to see him. Dr. Timothy Warner points out that the degree to which I believe or act on a lie or a subtle distortion of the truth about God or about myself is the degree to which Satan has some control over me. The forces of darkness have some control over me but I believe a lie about God or about myself and it pulls me away from his presence. If we feel Jesus deserted us, if we feel like we're all alone in this crazy, strange, mixed up world, we are missing the truth because he will never leave us he will never forsake us. And as bad as things may look, and trust me, I know, things look bad sometimes. Okay, things look bad, period. It's just, it does. But that's not the end of the story. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew throughout this year. 2022, and uh, today, today I'm going to be uh, taking you clear to the end, to a very, 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 very familiar passage of uh, from Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, the very final verses, the verses of Matthew that record the story of uh, Jesus' last words to his disciples right before he returned to heaven. Now, uh, just to be honest, I have struggled with these verses all week. 
And the struggle has been, because they're familiar, I had enough material almost to write a book, not quite, but a good, good solid chapter in a, in a book, a, lot, a large chapter, a lot of material. And I, I just, so I decided, okay, what parts am I gonna, what material am I gonna leave out and what am I gonna share? And that's what I'm doing and it's not really gonna be like a sermon. I'm just gonna kind of read and make commentary as we go through these verses and, and gonna make a, draw us to a conclusion at the end. It's a little different from what we've done the last few weeks, but like I've said before, a little different is just the way things are. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. At the very beginning of Matthew 28, the women had gone to the tomb where Jesus had been buried. And when they got there, Jesus was not there. An angel was there and said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen as he said. Go tell his disciples to go to Galilee and he'll meet him there. Like he, you know, and, and then they left and as they were going to find his disciples, they met Jesus and he said, hey, tell the guys, because the, the 11 disciples were guys, tell the guys, I'll meet him in Galilee. Apparently this was all planned out. We don't know that when he gave them all the details, but it, it had been planned and prearranged. They had apparently had had enough, from what we can tell, they were having a hard enough time with the times when Jesus said, now when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, but on the third day I'm going to rise again. They were having a hard enough time with that, but apparently somewhere along he said, but after it's all over, I'm going to... I want to meet you in Galilee on this mountain. And so they went there because Jesus had told them, reminded them through an angel telling the women and then Jesus telling the women to tell them. So Jesus knows that if you really want guys to listen, you need to tell the women to tell them. Especially if the angel tells them and because if they're not going to listen, Jesus and an angel said, go meet him at the mountain. Why are you still sitting there? Mm -hmm. So they went. Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him. I just paused. These were 11 Jewish men worshiping a man. Do you know what the first commandment is? The Ten Commandments? You'll have no other gods besides me? Remember the first temptation Jesus had? One of the temptations? Bow down and worship me. And he said, no, you only worship the Lord your God. And here are 11 men worshiping Jesus. Well, 
that's because Jesus is God. Or God is Jesus, whichever way. It's true both directions. They worshiped him. But, one of my favorite words, uh, but some doubted. So they're in the middle of standing in the presence of Jesus, worshiping him, and some of them, we're talking about the eleven. Some of them are still, they're looking at him, they're, it's got to be God, but I don't get it. For all of us who still have questions, for all of you who still have questions, the first thing I want you to understand is not having questions is not a requirement for following Jesus. let that soak in for all of us all of us who have questions now everybody who doesn't have questions I don't get you but everybody that's wondering what on earth is wrong with a pastor who has no questions I mean that has questions shouldn't pastors have no questions I think anybody who has no questions isn't paying attention please don't shoot me he said, I have to worry about hymnals being thrown at me because we put them away for a while. All right, so they saw him. They worshiped him. Some of them still had questions and doubts. Even when they were seeing him. So for those of us who can't see him, okay, verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority, all power to rule and reign is what he's talking about. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Oswald Chambers wrote, Jesus Christ is not only Savior, he is King, and he has the right to exact anything and everything from us at his own discretion. We talk about the joys and comforts of salvation, and Jesus talks about taking up the cross and following him. Jesus Christ is Savior, and he saves us into his own absolute and holy reign, sovereignty, lordship. He's king. Now, he says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. How dare you ask questions? No, he didn't. So, everybody who had doubts just for a moment ago, take a deep breath, relax, because he didn't say that. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am in charge. Therefore, verse 19, he says, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to stop and say, why is it there? What's it there for? It is there because he's in charge. He says, go, 
make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. I'm in charge. Here's what you're supposed to do. Make disciples, going, baptizing, and teaching. And what do you teach them? Teach them everything I said. Close. Teach them to obey everything I said. Well, that's an awful lot. Well, it really boils down to this. He says, teach them everything, to, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. In John chapter 15, verse 17, he says, this is my command. Anybody know what it is? Love each other. That's it. This is my command. Love each other. Earlier, he expanded it just a little bit. Love each other as I have loved you. So there's the standard. <clears throat> That's how we're to obey him. We're to love each other, to love each other in the family of God and all those who are not in the family of God. We're to love each other the way he loves There's a lifetime of learning in there. There might even be an eternity of learning in there for all I know. And then he concludes, and surely, or lo, or remember, or be sure of this, whatever it is, whatever, however that word may be translated in what the English translation for you. It's basically pay attention and don't forget this. I am with you. This is an echo of what the angel said to Joseph in his dream clear back at the very beginning of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew records that when Joseph was thinking about divorcing Mary setting her, you know, annulling their, uh, their marriage arrangement. After all, she's pregnant and he's not been with her. That's not quite the way it's supposed to work when you're a uh, good Jewish first century couple. Um, he loves her and doesn't want to, to, to disgrace her, but he, you know, it's just not the plan he had. And the angel came to him in a dream and said, don't worry. This child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. You're going to call him Jesus, and this is done, done to fulfill. The prophet Isaiah said they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And here comes Jesus at the end of Matthew, and he says, I am with you. I am with you always very end of the age I was thinking about that that word always we I, I don't know how they used it when, in, in the language that Jesus was speaking and how the language that uh, uh, that Matthew was writing in but I in, in English 
It can be all the time. We always have, I, I always have coffee in the morning, afternoon, and night. I always have coffee. And it can also mean directions. Doesn't matter if you come, when you come to a stop sign, at, they don't want to call them four-way stops, do they? They call them all-way stops. That way, if there are only three streets, it's still an all-way stop. Whether they're coming from the east, the west, or the north, or the south, or the northeast, the southeast, all-way stop. We use that word for all times and all directions, all places. I am with you always, everywhere you go, all the time. That's a sermon in a sentence. This world is acting strange. There's no doubt about it. But Jesus is with us right here, right now. He's not over in Jerusalem where we have to get on an airplane and well, by the way, today, it would be very difficult to go see Jesus in Jerusalem. Israel's very particular about the people they let in during COVID. I, I, how do you know that? I know that because I have uh, a niece and her husband who live in Jerusalem and family members who've wanted to go visit them because they had babies. Some could go and some couldn't go. If he hadn't gone, he could never make this promise to us. But now he's made a promise to us that is true. His promise is, I am with you always. The world is acting strange, but Jesus is with us right here, right now. See, Jesus never sends us out alone. This is one of those things that somehow we get this, I don't know how we get this picture. That somehow Jesus is still standing on top of that mountain when he said to his disciples, go. It wasn't a command to go for, by themselves. It was an invitation to go with him. Because he says to them, wherever you go, I'm always with you. Jesus came looking for lost and hurting people like us, like you and me. And he's still looking for lost and hurting people. His Holy Spirit is still trying to draw people into God's family. And you, I, this is, uh, yeah. Some of you may remember the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus tells it on more than one occasion. Uh, it's told in Luke chapter 15, and Jesus tells it also in Matthew, I think it's chapter 18. He talks about how there's a shepherd who has 100 sheep, one of them gets lost, and he does the weirdest thing. Every time Jesus tells this parable, 
He does this. And I've had all kinds of people try to explain it away. And every time they do, they try to explain it away. I'm left going, yeah, but that's not what he said. It says he leaves the 99 in the field to go find the one that's lost. You can check it out. <clears throat> in, that's what Jesus says. He has 99 sheep. And instead of going, wow, I still have 99 sheep. Thank the Lord. I didn't lose all of them. He says, I got to go find the one that's lost. And leaves the 99 that aren't lost. Am I the only one who finds that a little odd? I've had people say, well, actually, he left him with his friends. Then why didn't he say he left him with his friends? He doesn't say he left the sheep with his friends and went to find the one. Oh, and here's the crazy thing. In, in Luke 15, when he finds the one sheep that he loses, he goes back to town to throw a party because he found the one sheep. The 99 are never mentioned again. I just want you to have that in mind as you hear what I'm about to say about the good shepherd, Jesus. I think you're more likely to find a good shepherd searching for one lost sheep than hanging out with 99 sheep that never went astray. Now, I'm not going to fight people over that. You're not comfortable with that? Well, I've been sitting with it and been uncomfortable with it for decades. Join me in my misery. I don't get it. I don't. I just know what it says. And he says it that way more than once. So I kind of think he must have said it and meant it. Why? But that's the question. I mean, that seems to be the principle. If you really, really want to sense Jesus' presence, go with him to find lost sheep. And so that's the question I'm going to leave us with this morning. Will you join Jesus in his all-out search for the lost sheep? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. Some of us remember what it's like to be out there in the wilderness and we're scared to death of the idea of going back there.
some of us have heard stories about what it's like to be out there, and we're also scared. Jesus is inviting us to go with him. And that leads us to the decision to make. And we need your we need your help. We need you to remind us that You're never going to leave us or forsake us. You're never going to allow the fires we face to ultimately consume us or the floods to ultimately wipe us out. But you'll see us through. Short-term losses may come, but overall, in the end, you win. You always do. You will always see us through. There may be a crucifixion, but it will be followed by an empty tomb. Maybe a day of evil where the enemy attacks in ways that we've never thought or never expected, never dreamed of. But you will give us the strength to stand. But it will be you and your strength that helps us to stand. It will not be us. It won't be the things we've depended on in the past. It won't be our our ideas, our traditions our hopes, our ways of having done things before. It will be our simple dependence on you. So come, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you far more than we It's been a while since I've said this at the end of the service, but this is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for you as, as you go to live as sent ones, as you go to live with Jesus and search for the lost sheep. May the beauty of Jesus be seen in your eyes. May the love of Jesus be shine in your actions. May the wisdom of Jesus shine in your words. May the grace of Jesus flow from your heart into people's lives. May the hope of Jesus saturate you and flood the people around you. Amen. You are sent. Go with Jesus.